Yes, yes. Who else? There are lots of people in this church, luckily, that have short jeans like me. There's also a reason, if you don't know why, that pulpit doesn't sit here when I preach, because otherwise you'd never see me. So, (sighs) well, welcome to West Meadows this morning. I'm glad that you're here. Um, Who's excited that it's almost Christmas? Oh, Brenda's excited. Uh, I know my wife is excited because she is almost done with her Christmas shopping, so, and she feels very excited that she beat the rush, so, but... I can't believe that it is almost in that season, right? Like, I drove by the mall the other day, and all the stuff is lit up, right? And um, I was flipping through the ads this week, and everybody had pre-Black Friday sales this week, and in anticipation of next week, I guess. And for as an American, it's hard, right? Because Thanksgiving doesn't fall till this Thursday for me. So we really technically cannot discuss Christmas. Like, you know, Halloween... Thanksgiving, Christmas, then we'll talk about Valentine's Day, and then Easter. So, maybe St. Patrick's Day in there. But for me, it's just hard. But I've decided we have to embrace the season because it's going to happen whether I like it or not. So, and that next week is the start of Advent. So, it actually is the Christmas season coming upon us. So, it is my favorite time of year. I love that we get to celebrate and tell people about Jesus because it's the time in the year that they're most open to it. Um, I know for some that it can be stressful because it ends up being come about gifts or family issues. You know, you got to spend time with the family, all that kind of stuff. But this morning, as we listen to a prayer Jesus prays, may it bring you a sense of excitement in this Christmas season to put everything else aside as we be on mission for Jesus. So this morning, before we begin, let me pray. Father, may you open our hearts this morning. May you help us uh, understand what we need to hear in this season. That a Savior was born, that loved us more than we can love anything, Lord. That you sent this Son for us, Lord. May we remember that in this season. Push out all the other stuff that we don't need. Push out all the friction, the gifts, all that stuff. While they're not bad things, may they just not be our focus. May we be on mission for Christ in this season. We just thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to talk through um, John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. But we're going to use the lens of salt and light and how to be salt and light. And then we're going to tie those into the unity of the church and the Great Commission. So maybe when you think of salt and light, what comes to mind? For me, I brought you, see, I brought you some props. It's a lovely thing of sea salt. I feel like I'm kind of on the prices, right? What does somebody think the value of this is? Five bucks. Wow. There you go. Priceless. Wow. Um, or light. Maybe you think of light bulbs of the city or something like that. As a parent, this is what I think of because my kids have a thousand of these and they blind you. Um, but you might be sitting and asking, what does salt and light have to do with my faith? Well, we're going to look at that. So pull out your Bibles, and we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. We're going to start looking at verse 13 first, and it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It, no lo- it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. As Christians, we must permeate society. 
as agents of redemption, numerous things to which the salt could refer to and its uses. But the preservative in this, in this text was that it was to just preserve food. Jesus calls his disciples to arrest corruption, prevent moral decay in a world that they live. They must avoid assuming that all possible uses of salt were in view. But today we probably think of it just gives flavor. How many of us just shake salt on our food or maybe our doctors told us no, so we tell him we don't shake salt on our food. And, uh, but likely here it was without refrigeration. They didn't have refrigeration. So the salt was not enhancing the taste. The salt was actually preserving So as Christians, you need to be different in society, but you still have to be a part of it. You still got to preserve what God has called you to do. So keep that in mind, in that salt in mind, as we continue. So we see light in verses 14 to 16, and it says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives everyone gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. Since Jesus is the light of the world that we know from John 8 and 9, so his followers should reflect that light, like lights of the city illuminating the dark of the countryside, or a lamp inside the house providing light within it. Christians must let their good works shine before the rest of the world. So the question I have is, are you illuminating? Guys, if you'll turn the lights down for me, we're going to have a little example. And examples today. I found these lovely sticks. I'm going to make Pastor Mark hold them, because he's a good example. So, as you can see, Pastor Mark is being a light at the moment. Not a very bright light because he doesn't have very many of them. But the idea that you can see them, right? Like the idea that you are shining. Are you different in the world? You can turn the lights back on, guys. Um, But the idea, are you glowing? Think about that. Are you illuminating where God has placed you to give him glory? And it's not about you just illuminating to illuminate, right? Like, it can be about you. You can make it about you, but it's not really about you. It's about God. So one commentator that I read, I loved this kind of idea of what we're supposed to be as salt and light. We must remain active, preservative agents, indeed irritants, in the calling the world to heed God's standards. We dare not form isolated Christian enclaves, to which the world pays no attention. So are you being an active preservative agent in your life? So this concept of salt and light encompasses the prayer that that Jesus prays in John 17. As with last week, we listen in on the prayer, and we're going to do that as well today. But let's set the scene first. Jesus is aware that not only will he depart from the world, but likewise those who stand with him. His immediate circle of followers will also depart to be with him in his glory. This will leave those whom they disciple. This is you, the church, to represent the kingdom in the world. 
Therefore, Jesus now turns and prays for these followers who he has not yet met, men and women who will follow the apostles, indeed the church today, which carries its mission set down by Jesus during his final week. As we take a look at our passage today where Jesus sets the theme, it's going to be this unfolding unity of the church to be able to do the great commission that you have been called to. And we see this start to unfold. So we're going to read John 17, 20 to 26, but I want you to think of it this way. I invite you to put yourself as if the person sitting next to you is actually praying this prayer. We're going to read it like a prayer, as if Jesus was next to you. It might start something like this. Dear God, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. The world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Amen. While Jesus prays for his disciples, he wants to make it known that this prayer was not just for them, right? This was for the future. He was praying for you, me, for all of those people who accept him. It has been said that this prayer is a prayer of unity, but it's with salvations of sinners in view. He was praying that believers might be exhibiting the character of God in Christ. This is the world, this would what the world would cause to believe that God sent him. The unity that makes the world say, I see Christ in those Christians, as the Father saw Christ in me. So in verses 21 to 23. You see in that first part, or that second part of 21, that all of them may be one. And it says that I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. We see Christ playing for unity of all believers among one another in Christ's church now and forever. So unity can be explained this way. D.A. Carson said, The unity engaged by Christ's disciples is unity based on the mutual indwelling of the Holy Spirit in them. D.S. Dockery said something similar. Ultimately, the unity that we should have is one another that can be best put this way. The love that binds Christians together should overcome all such grievances, demonstrating to the world that the people of God are unique and unprecedented in their fellowship, drawing the non-believing world to faith in Christ. 
And lastly, before we talk about this idea of unity, Warren Wiersbe said, one of the things that is most impressive that the world, and for the world is the way Christians love each other and live together in harmony. It is this witness that the Lord wants the world, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The lost world cannot see God, but they can see Christians. And what they see in us is what they believe about God. If they see love and unity, they will believe God is love. If they see hatred and division, they will reject the message of the gospel. So as we think about that and we think about Christianity and where you're at, there are often roadblocks to Christianity, right? Oftentimes, one of the big ones is actually when you have conversations with people. Christians are hypocrites. They're judgmental. They're fake. They're too good. We should be so unified in love that that should spur us on to love the world. When you get a roadblock, how do you answer it? How do you answer it when your friend at work says to you, well, you're just a hypocrite? Do you get defensive? Do you answer it? Do you just ignore it? There's many ways you can answer it. I think one of the better ways is to just admit it. Yep, I am. I have done, I have said things that are not of Jesus. I have hurt people. But God has forgiven me. And if I have hurt you, I ask for your forgiveness. If we all live that way, what will we be projecting to the world? You can tell them that Christ's love is always the same. Maybe for you it's not with other people that that don't believe, it's with people that do believe. Maybe you have a roadblock with another believer. You feel hurt, angry. Maybe you're the offender and you feel guilty and you don't know what to do. It's time to clear that up. Be different. Ask for forgiveness. Give forgiveness. Allow reconciliation. Show love through unity and give the benefit of the doubt. How often do non-believers see us fighting over things that don't matter? How often may you even be frustrated with something and you talk to a non-believer about it and it gives them that negative impression of the love God wants them to hear. The unity that Jesus is talking about transcends more than you and I. It has an effect on how the world views us. It has an effect on your effectiveness that God has given you to tell the world. Once again, Jesus is trying for each of us to be on a larger mission. The unity ultimately affects the Great Commission that as followers, Jesus has given us. John 13, 35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. William MacDonald put it this way, The true mark of a Christian is the love for his fellow Christians. This requires divine power and the power is only given to those indwelt by the Spirit. 
And 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is loving others as Christ loved us, only as empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have to remember as Christians, we can't love like Christ loves without the Holy Spirit. There's always going to be someone that you don't agree with, that you might not always be on the same page. But in Christianity, one of the things that God has done for you as a believer, he has allowed people who have nothing in common to come together for greater good. Maybe you're the guy that loves programming software and you're this guy is the guy that loves NFL football and these two could care nothing about what each other has to say. But Christ brings that unity. You pull down that selfishness and say, you know what? I could probably be interested in what this guy, you know, I could see what an NFL football game looks like. I could see maybe, maybe he could write me some code to make something cool or whatever. I don't know. But it, it is the thing that transcends and allows people of different everything to come together. If we love one another, we cannot accept this love through our own power. As a believer, you have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to be relying on him, not on you. Are you being an agent used by God through the Spirit? As we continue in uh, verse 24, of John 17. If you are a believer in Christ, then Christ's prayer for you to share the love that he has shared with you, to be the salt and light through the world, through unity and the Great Commission. We see that unity brings us together, but it also calls us to do. We pick up in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see the glory See my glory and the glory you have given me because you loved me. Before the creation of the world, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So how do we do this? Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So I was reading this this week. While I've given you kind of a challenge to look at your life, That doesn't mean we don't have stuff to celebrate. Doesn't mean just because God is molding you, we're not on mission. Last week, we had seven people baptized. Think about that. You have seven people who decided to make a public profession to their friends and family in a packed church that they love Jesus. 
God is at work here. We've had people in the last weeks, months, invite Christ into their life. God is working. However, we can't be idle. And John Piper stated once, we have three options to respond to the Great Commission. You can go, send, or disobey. And as I thought about this, this week, what happens if someone hadn't shared Christ with you? What happens if someone hadn't invited you? Maybe you're saying to me, oh, well, you know, I accepted Christ when I was five or seven or ten, and so I don't really remember it. Okay, so who was that influence in your life? Who was that youth pastor? Who was that parent, teacher, mentor that helped guide you through your faith so that you understood what it meant to be a follower? As for me, I look back on my own personal journey. As someone who didn't come to Christ till 24 years old, my life was on a different road. A lot of you know my story. It, the idea that I was going to be probably whatever, as much money as I could decide to come up with, and that was going to be the way life was, and I was going to be the life of the party. But inside of me, something wasn't right. I might have looked like I had it all together, but I didn't. And what it brought me back to was, what happens if someone hadn't invited me? For me, it took God three times to basically get me to walk inside a church building. I had a youth pastor who was also my wrestling coach in high school, and so he invited me. I went to one event, and I was like, I'm never doing that again. Um, Because I was too cool to, like, just go to this thing. So then I had a college pastor approached me when I was in college, and I'm like, nah, I'm good, like, really. I got this figured out. And it, the third invitation for me, obviously you can tell how hard-headed I am, my roommate says to me, two weeks after we graduate college, we need to be adults and go to church. He came from a Christian background He had slowly backslidden a little bit as we walked through college. I was not the best influence. And he wouldn't kind of let up on this thing. Like, he just kept saying, we need to do this. So he went the first week by himself. It's like, whatever, go. I'm not doing this. Came home. you got to come to this church. I'm like, no. Forget it. But he kept inviting me. And every time something would come up in my life, he was one of the few people that saw the inside of me, right? Would say, you know, Christ loves you for that. Christ will give you help in that area. I'm not doing this. No. Churches for church, you know. And of course, I, being a non-believer, believed this was going to be one of those churches where those people picketed and it was going to be one of those things where the, those billboards where the world is ending in 2011. So I was like, I can't do this. No way. But for me, as I look back on my personal journey, it was because someone invited me. 
So this morning, I'm going to invite you to kind of check where you're at. Maybe this morning you don't know Christ. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with him. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Pastor Mark would love to have a conversation. I'd venture to guess that any believer sitting in this room would love to have a conversation with you about him. If you're a believer this morning, are you being salt and light through unity in the Great Commission? Is your salt tasteless or is it preserving something? Is your light shining or is it under a bowl? Are you an active, permeating agent of unity through Christ's love that you're, you're dealing with the things you need to deal with, making up with other believers so that you're showing that love and you're active in the Great Commission? Are you loving? Are you forgiving? Are you going? Are you sending? Or ultimately, are you disobeying? As we enter into the Christmas season, as we think of part of what's required of us as believers, we need to be a part of going, sending, or you could be a part of disobeying. I would tell you you probably shouldn't. But anyway, I want to uh, show you this video. It's a simple way for you to be on mission this Christmas season. <laughs> 